Welcome to the Metron Manager Podcast. Thank you for joining us as we work to recover the dignity and mission of vocation. Learn more at metronmanager.com. But I'm going to start with uh, this question, number one, what led most Christians to have a compartmentalized worldview of work? It hasn't always been this way historically. Uh, From my understanding and study and exposure, it largely started to emerge uh, in, you could call it sort of modern Christianity. Uh, In the 14-1500s, there was a few Christian thought leaders that started to build off of a concept Uh, probably unknowingly, but building off of a concept that the Apostle Paul and others were dealing with in the New Testament called Gnosticism. And so, in short, that's the reason we find ourselves in a compartmentalized worldview of work uh, or even a compartmentalized understanding of ourselves. And it has led to something, Gnosticism has, that I call the denigration of vocation. And so what is Gnosticism? It was the most prevalent heresy that threatened the early church. It was influenced by philosophers such as Plato. Gnosticism is based on two false premises, that matter is inherently evil and the spirit is inherently good. And also everything in the body or of the body doesn't have any meaning. So your physicality doesn't have any meaning because life only exists in the spirit realm. Those are two very problematic presuppositions in Gnosticism. And this heresy... Uh, was a big deal. Much of the New Testament from the apostles was written against and dealing with Gnosticism that was undermining the early church. So to deeply understand why it uh, work is so misunderstood in Christianity, we need to touch on the idea of this Gnostic thinking. Um, it emerged early in the church and it's continued to affect our thinking. The apostle Paul, he was particularly vocal in his opposition and condemnation of the Gnostics as he sought to disciple the early church. He would not allow the belief that one's actions were not as important as one's spiritual activity. Gnosticism leads to a disintegrated life rather than a holistically managed human existence because we are spirit and we are matter. We're both in our created nature. So a Gnostic worldview allows for the work of one's hands to be of no spiritual significance. So we have to answer this question, is work in the way or is it the way? This is dealing with Gnosticism. To find purpose and calling in our vocation, we have to align with God's view of work. We can't allow the work of our hand to be considered any less spiritual than say our preaching or our praying or our personal quiet times, there isn't a separation of that in God's design. And you can learn more about this in depth. I outline the concepts of Gnosticism and the worldviews of work with uh, the help of Daryl Miller, the author Daryl Miller's input on Christian worldviews of Gnosticism and how that affects our work in chapter 11. So I'd encourage you to read that uh, further on. 
Okay, so we got there by Gnosticism. That's the problem. So we're trying to unwind that now in modern Christian thinking. Okay, the other question I want to move on to, how is my secular job possibly having eternal value? Okay, so this one I'm really passionate about. Um, the examples were working for, you know, as like a government contractor or a minion in a large company doing software programming all day, these kind of things. Uh, some of us have experienced this feeling of not mattering in that equation and wondering how in the world could this be something God is into. Uh, so <laughs> one, one thought I put out uh, in some of my teachings is, you know, if you're not into your work, then God won't be into your work. <laughs> and so you really, you really matter in that equation. So it's one of the most significant questions that compelled me to write uh, the book, Managing Your Metron. So for one thing, there is no secular job, uh, as the premise of the question implies. Uh, that we just talked about with Gnostic Gnosticism produces that kind of thinking. So there is no secular job before an integrated being in Christ. So that's at the heart of, of what theology of work is all about, is getting past this idea of a secular job. We're designed and created to be integrated and holistic. We, do, we are naturally spiritual. There is no sacred secular divide, as you might have heard termed uh, before. So that's Gnostic thinking. We have to get healed from that to become reintegrated and recover our purpose, especially in work, but in other areas of life as well. This is a really damaging way of thinking. So as you read the book, you'll find there's a way to live holistic and integrated in your life where you can really recover dignity and purpose in your vocation. So I want to share a section of my book from chapter 11 that I think will help you gain and recover this spiritual understanding of vocation. The subheading is the good work of vocation. Let me start with a powerful statement from theologian and Christian thought leader, Daryl Miller. He says, God is working to reverse the effects of the fall and he calls us to work with him. So in chapter 11, I write, what do you do? This is a common question that we are asked when meeting new people. We all have different answers based on our day-to-day -day activities. One might answer, I'm a student, or I work in such and such an industry, or I'm the mother of four children. She might rightly respond that she does full-time four jobs. No matter the season of life we're in or the scope of responsibility that currently describes our Metron, we all work for a common company. As followers of Christ, we're all in a family business. So what does the family business do? Our father is in the reconciliation and restoration business, and your collaboration or your co-laboring with him is how he gets business done. Within all our diversity of activity in the family business, we all have a unifying bottom line. We are working with our father to reverse the effects of the fall. When we grasp this high calling, our work gets truly exciting, and even work that seems mundane or inconsequential becomes deeply fulfilling. What you do is not the point. What matters is how you do what you do where you are. Let me repeat that. What matters is how you do what you're doing where you are. Whether you are a stay-at-home parent, a bank teller, entrepreneur, or the leader of a nation, the original commission imparts authority and responsibility to manage the metron that God has given you. Just as in the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, 14, 
we will be held accountable for how we manage his possessions. God wants you to learn to be faithful with the little so that he can entrust you with much. If by chance you try to avoid God's design, you might abdicate personal responsibility by saying something like, I don't have any sort of Metron. The truth is that everyone has parents, friends, co-workers, hobbies, social standing, school, vocation, family, property, community, ideas, and dreams. So every Metron is a compilation of all these aspects of life. Your Metron may be smaller and simpler to navigate, but it contains at least one distinct project. Everyone has a sphere of influence that at least contains one person, you. Your Metron is the garden into which you were placed to serve and protect. The scope and purpose of the original commission resonate in your garden, even if you are technically unemployed. In the kingdom of God, you're always employed in the family business. No matter what you do on a day-to-day basis, you are commissioned to reverse the effects of the fall within anyone or anything that you can influence. So you may not have a job, but you do have influence. You may not have many resources, but you have at least one of God's gifts. And you may not have employees to manage or citizens to govern, but you do have a metron, even if it only contains you. So if you look around with a discerning heart, you'll begin to recognize the many areas of the human condition for which you are essentially a lifeline to heaven. So that's my my input on that. I think that that'll lead you down the right road uh, in that chapter, but I wanted to just share on that topic of vocation, what vocation really is. I've got a couple more questions I want to tackle. Question three, circling back to this idea of identity, ability, and authority and that framework of the original commission. So let's review the concept of original uh, commission. What does it look like? It looks like you serving as a vital lifeline between heaven and earth. So how does God intend that to work? Let's look at what theologian Dallas Willard writes. He gives the following description of our role in creation. He says, individually, the disciple and friend of Jesus who has learned to work shoulder to shoulder with his or her Lord, stands in this world as a point of contact between heaven and earth, a kind of Jacob's ladder by which the angels of God may ascend and descend into human life. Thus, the disciple stands as an envoy or a receiver by which the kingdom of God is conveyed into every quarter of human affairs. So managing your Metron is all about being the disciple that conveys the kingdom of God into every dark and desperate corner of human affairs. Probably a lot of us feel our job is that fits that definition, a dark and desperate corner of human affairs. And that's, that's the underlying job of reversing the effects of the fall in that dark and desperate corner. And that's all of our metrons. We all have this component of darkness and desperation. And that's what God has given us to represent him and to reflect him into in our Metron. So there's a significant calling that requires a man. This is, I would say, a significant calling that that requires a mandate from God to fulfill it. That's where we get this idea of the original commission. So looking back at Genesis 128 again, let's review on our commission to work. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, multiply, Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and every living thing that moves on the earth. 
So we looked at the key words in our last discussion that God gave to Adam and Eve in the original commission. B, the formal choosing role, giving you identity. Subdue, empowerment to perform or carry out a role, the ability. And rule, authorization to carry out a role, to have authority. So that three-part component of the original commission. There's a little bit more on that I wanted to share with you. So more on the definition of commission. I think you'll see the importance here of the formal appointment or choosing by God in the definition of commission. So another element of commission, and it's as it's defined, a group of people who have been formally chosen and given authority to get information about a problem or to perform other special duties. Second part of the definition, to formally choose someone to do a special piece of work or to formally ask for a special piece of work from someone. I think we see that reflected in what God was doing in the, the original commission. Okay, last question that was put forward is to build out a little bit more on this thinking on the idea of creation is waiting for you. Let's talk a little bit about that. I'll revisit this scripture in Genesis 2.5. says, Now no shrub of the field was yet in the earth. That's strange because God had already created uh, the garden. But it says here, Now no shrub of the field was yet in the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprouted. For the Lord God had not sent rain upon the earth, and there was no man to cultivate the ground. So what was Adam's original commission? What was he actually supposed to be doing? He was taking responsibility to see the world outside of the garden become like the world inside of the garden. The mandate was to cultivate, or that word abad, to cultivate and keep it. So that was what he was actually doing. He was giving a, he was giving a job to do, not to just hang out and relax in the garden, but there was stuff that was waiting on mankind outside of the garden. So what was he given in the original commission? He was given resources from the Lord to accomplish this commission. One, he was given the model. He was shown a, a working model of the Garden of Eden. That's where he lived. And number two, he was given the delegated authority or the commission. Number three, he was given the method. Be fruitful, multiply, expand, fill the earth, subdue, and steward. He was given the methodology to accomplish what he was asked to do. And the means, number four, cultivate it and keep it. And that my book will unpack those two concepts at length, the cultivating and keeping. I think you'll find a lot of depth there. So we see God outline mankind's purpose by giving them an epic job description and a commission to refine creation. God gave to Adam and Eve identity, delegated authority, and ability to fulfill that commission to rule over creation. So what God gave them, he also gives you. This is where it gets exciting. We have the same original commission and high calling, same as Adam and Eve. But instead of a garden, we have a metron. It's a direct analogy, a parallel. Now life gets meaningful. We get to work alongside our heavenly father in his family business to see his will being done on earth as it is in heaven. To embrace our commission, we have to embrace the means through which the kingdom is established. You're called to work. So back to this idea of going outside of your garden and why that matters to us. Verse 5 indicates that God had what God had created was full of potential that had not been fully released. The process of growth, life, and fullness were in a holding pattern until mankind arrived. 
The operating system of creation was desired to require meaningful involvement by us, by mankind. Earth was waiting for mankind to take up their commission to work. The fruitfulness, the potential of God's creation were designed to be awakened when mankind worked. Creation was designed to require mankind to be in a co-laboring role with God, to obey this commission to work. Mankind would work, God would send the rain, and then the earth would bloom. So we were purpose-built for this commission. And God left a lot of things, even he highlights them at the beginning of creation, he left a lot of things undone on purpose. So by design, he left things undone that he wanted his kids to do, to show them that this is how we do life together. This is how this works. We work together on things. And creation rises into its purpose when mankind takes up their calling to cultivate So what's just a couple things in summary here that God left undone, just to pique your interest. One, multiply. That was in the commission. He left it up to humans to make babies. This is the one area of obedience that humans are pretty good at. Number two, subdue. That's another area that he left outside the garden was unsubdued. He said, subdue it, rule. And here's an interesting one, name clear illustration of God's desire to co-labor with his children was that when he, he brought all the animals to Adam to be named, he didn't finish the job by giving them all names and handing Adam a guidebook to the safari. So out of the ground, he formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was its name. This is the idea of co-authoring, co-laboring with Christ. And this is what we get to do in our Metrons. And the means, the method and the means is our work. So hopefully those answers to the question, uh, to those questions will pique your interest and help you dive into the book further and really get value out of this study going forward. Thank you for listening to the Metron Manager Podcast, presented by Jonathan Nowlin and the Metron Manager Project. Remember, God has given you permission and a commission to work. Learn more at metronmanager.com.